Hi there. Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi there and welcome to this week's Jewelry Navigator podcast. This is a unique and unusual podcast that I'll be doing today. Typically my guests are jewelers or designers. This guest has been polishing jewelry and has mastered polishing and finishing techniques over a course of 50 years. In fact, he has so much information and shares so much insight with jewelers and specialists all across the world that he wrote a book called Polishing and Finishing for Jewelers and Silversmiths. And my guest is Stephen M. Goldsmith, also known as Gold Polisher on Instagram. I happen to have a copy of his book in my hands and I have a surprise to share with you a little bit later in the episode. So be sure you're listening because I have some details on how you can get your hands on his book as well. But on the back of his book, it reads, Stephen M. Goldsmith, who is a fellow of the Institute of Professional Goldsmiths, is a master polisher. He originally worked for the Crown Jewelers, Asprey and Garrards, and now works with the society jeweler, Theo Fennell. His work is displayed in palaces and museums across the world and is worn by the rich and famous. As well as having a string of awards and accolades to his name, he regularly teaches his trade skills. He is a fellow of the Institute of Professional Goldsmiths and the only polisher to become a master of the Dutch Guild of Goldsmiths. I also want to give a special shout out to Tracy Trainer, who is my guest on the podcast a few weeks ago. She recommended that I reach out to Stephen because he has been so helpful and influential on her journey as a silversmith. He does mention her name and some of the techniques that he's applied and helped Tracy with in the episode as well. Without further ado, here is Stephen Goldsmith. Enjoy the episode and welcome aboard. I will introduce you as Steve Goldsmith and how fortuitous that your last name is Goldsmith, that you ended up in this vocation. So I want you to share a little bit about your background and how you got into the Goldsmith trade. Yes. Okay. So it's a bit of a different uh, idea for for you as a jewelry 
the jewellery navigator was, it was funny, I actually went to a careers advice and they said to me, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. And they went, what, you want to be a cartoonist? I said, yeah, they said, never going to make it. You're never, ever going to make it. It's not a thing that's going to happen. And I went, but that's what I want to do. I'm really good. I'm really good at art and I'm good at metalwork. And they said, we know that. We've heard about you being good at metalwork. There's this absolute and marvellous course that's going on at the uh, Art and Design College next door. And it's a pre-apprenticeship course that lasts for a year. And they touch on every aspect of the gold and silversmithing trade. Would that mm-hmm. be something that was interesting to you? And I went, it means, though, they said, you have to leave at 15. You have to leave school at 15 because you need to finish an apprenticeship by the age of 21. If you're 22, that's it. It's not happening. So you have to do four to five years apprenticeship. So that's what happened. So mm-hmm. basically, I went to college. I did my year. And I, I touched on the jewellery, the polishing, the silversmithing, the setting, everything, every aspect, even ceramics. And it's a real good grounding. So anyway, what happened after that? My One of my tutors is a really good, renowned silversmith called Norman Bassant. And he got me a job. He got me a job in Hatton Garden as an apprentice polisher for silversmiths. And the way you train a polisher would be repetitive. So you you give him, like I did, one Tudor rose dish, you show him how to polish it, and then you give him 24 more. At the end of the 24, he knows how to polish that dish. So mm-hmm. the environment in these days is not like that anymore. You would only get maybe one dish, whereas now in this time in the 70s, it was more like a factory environment. So there were seven polishers. There was um, maybe 15 silversmiths, and there was 10 people making cutlery, and there were three spinners. So they're all producing silver for us to polish. So I did my pre-apprenticeship at college. Then I started a four-year apprenticeship with a company called CJ Vander in Hatton Garden. and. I was with one man for four years. He trained me in every aspect of just polishing silver. Teapots, baby baths, centerpieces, cutlery, everything, anything you wanted in silver. I never touched jewellery. Mm-hmm. And in my last year, in my fourth year, I then was taught how to finish everything. In the three years, I was just taught how to polish. And in the last year, I ended up pol- uh, finishing everybody's silver for a whole year. But in those three years, I was sent to college on day release to learn silversmithing so I could actually talk to a silversmith. Mm-hmm. So I could liaise up with him and sensibly speak to a silversmith, and he wouldn't say to me, just go away. I could understand what he was talking about. And I made a coffee pot and I made a small centerpiece. And we have a competition over here run by the Goldsmiths Company. And um, basically, I entered 
and I've got a third prize for silversmithing in the coffee pot, and then I ended up with commendations with the centrepiece of polishing. But now I'm actually uh, on the council, the craft council, so I'm a judge. So I've carried on with with what I was doing at the very beginning. But once you do your four years, because I was indentured by the worship company of goldsmiths, I actually became a freeman of the worship company of goldsmiths and then a freeman of the City of London because I was I was in servitude for four years in the City of London. So it's a really good thing with the goldsmiths company. They actually make sure that you're properly trained and then they look after you and actually come and visit to make sure that you're not just making cups of tea. Mm-hmm. So that is our how I did my four years as a polisher, and then I just went on. I left to do with money I because I they said that I was better than the money I was being paid, all the guys around me. So I went to work for a guy called Stuart Devlin, and Stuart Devlin was an Australian silversmith, and I call him, it's quite interesting, he's, he's part of a group called I call the Brat Pack. And there was Chris Lawrence and there's Gerald Benny. And before these three guys, they were actually doing reproduction silver. But these guys said, we're going to do something a little bit different. A bit like Theo. Now, Theo Fennell, he's doing something different. And But Stuart, he employed 60 craftsmen. And he was making uh, massive candelabras, like 30 foot long. And one of the things I was on was like little tiny little Fabergé eggs. So we'd do mm. a limited edition. So mm-hmm. that was um, a fun thing. And I worked again with seven polishers. The seven polishers is really interesting because I don't think there's seven polishers in London on this level now. There's maybe three. So mm-hmm. it's um, a quite an interesting little thing. That Anyway, I moved away after about, seven months from Stuart Devlin, and I went to work for a company called Naylor Brothers. And Naylor Brothers was the workshop for Garrard's, the crown jewellers. Okay. So so Garrard's suddenly become the crown jewellers. I ended up working for the Queen, doing all major sports trophies, and I uh, was with them for 26 years and became in charge of the polishing shop, more or less in the end for maybe nine years, was on my own as a polisher with 15 silversmiths because there was nobody, there's no more polishers around. So Mm -hmm. I had, I ended up with polishers. That was one of my friends was called Kevin, and he was a polisher maybe two years below me in years, and he came to work with me. So... Then when Kevin went, I then ended up with a former apprentice who then came to work with me. So because it's such a small trade, um, you know, it, I get to bump into people that know me. Mm-hmm. And, but because of working for Garrard's, their clientele was so, like, amazing. Um, I got to work. The money's endless. You know, because I'll be, I would be polishing a coffee table 
in gold with 380 diamonds, and it was worth two and a half million pounds. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so no you, you get this is just like another world, you know. Yes. And um, 12, 12 foot family trees, grandfather clocks covered in gold. There was a motorbike, uh, gold plated. Oh, so many things that you know that happened in those twenty six years. Even a jukebox, I seem to remember, and it was one arm bandit, and uh, yeah, and it was like it's not just our our workshop in London. There was loads of workshops like that, making these amazing creations, which is not happening so much now. It's gone back more to the individual craftsmen, maybe half a dozen silversmiths at the most working together. Mm-hmm. So that was um. So I ended up working uh, when I was working for Garrard. Say so one day they come along and they said to me, "Steve, we've got a pass for from St James's Palace. Would you like to go to the Tower of London?" And I went. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, why not? You know, it's like yes. the biggest, biggest break of my career, and it's actually mentioned in the book. And okay. um, uh, so they, I had a normal camera. There was no digital then. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, right, take a picture of this centrepiece. And the centrepiece is called the Grand Punch Bowl, and it weighs quarter of a tonne. Oh, and it has 110 pieces. So it's above and below so it's like um uh it was unicorns on it there's cherubs there's all sorts and all, all had to come off so i took the photographs and then they said to the silversmith take it apart you imagine <laughs> we've still got what we've still got to wait a few days for the for the film to be developed so uh-huh. <laughs> they moved the bowl they moved the bowl into another room we'd set up a pond liner and i had to um de-lacquer the Grand Punch Bowl, it was lacquered in the 70s. They felt it was a good way of preserving it. Then somebody decided it wasn't such a good idea. Mm-hmm. So they brought me in to restore the Grand Punch Bowl, which took me 11 days, and I was under armed guard for 11 days. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether that was to protect me or protect the Grand Punch Bowl. But while this is all going on, there's other craftsmen cleaning the crowns, and cleaning the maces and everything in the crown jewels. So I'm just part, I was just part of a team, but I had the big job, the grand punch bowl. But because of this, it just like goes on and on and on. People then discover that, oh, he's done this, he's done that. Perhaps he'll do the mace in the House of the Parliament. You know, so I ended up doing a mace in the House of the Parliament. I ended up doing a mace in the, um, uh, as one for the scientists as well. The great uh, society. So mm-hmm. I ended up working in the big library in the, in this uh, just in the shadow of Buckingham Palace, uh, restoring this uh, this mace. And they said it's never going to leave the room while you're here. It's got to be you'll be watched. And I thought, well, I'm used to this. Mm-hmm. I'm used to all this thing. So I. This was maybe about four or five years ago I did this mace for the society. So, and it was going to be, uh, Prince William was going to be made a fellow and um, the next day. 
Anyway, in this, they asked me to look at the book, the charter book, and it had signatures such as Charles Darwin and Sir Isaac Newton and all these people in the book. And they asked me to shine all the metal up for mm -hmm. them. So um, I, I thought it was a great honour for me to be chosen to, to you know, do the mace and then do the inkwells and do the book. And it was, it was quite a funny thing because the guy who's who's employed me, he says, be honest, he says, I don't know you from Adam. I just know that if you don't do this right, I'm going to get the sack. I'm going to be unemployed. <laughs> so I said, well, don't worry. don't worry. I said, I'm going to be okay about this. I'm not going to take too many risks. And uh, Goldsmiths Hall have recommended me, and basically I'm okay. I'm the only one who was willing to go out and meet people. You see, I go out on site, and I would meet people, talk to them, I've even uh, I've even been in a company for ten weeks teaching how to polish a gold mobile phone. Mm -hmm. So uh, so that so uh, you know imagine your people having gold mobile phones, but they do. They have platinum phones, they have gold ones. They have bulletproof ones for James Bond uh, films and all sorts of things. It's quite a different environment. But we can go back maybe to. This 77, when I was at, at starting in garards, and it was like an amazing time. We just had the Jubilee for the, our Queen. You know, she's mm -hmm. just done 25 years at the time. And then suddenly we have Prince Charles and Diana getting married. So the whole trade was buzzing with presents, making presents for Prince Charles and Diana. Mm -hmm. And I did the I did a centerpiece for them with little um, punch cut like punch little cups which go into the silver, and it spins around. It's a bit like a lazy sue and a punch bowl in the middle, and mm -hmm. um, that was amazing. And I sort of I then followed Prince Charles and Diana along uh, all the way, and then until her death, when I got to I was asked to polish the inscription plate for her coffin and that's affected me a great deal because basically i feel that i've got something still with princess diana even now and it was funny after the, the funeral i was actually in denver the next day and i was in a gift shop and people were coming up to me in denver saying oh we're so sorry for your loss and everything like that. It was like as if she was my relation. Mm. Americans think that the royal family were all joined together in some way, you know. Mm -hmm. But I actually ended up training Camilla Parker Bowles's butler. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's quite, it's like, oh, ironic or what. So I got involved with him and then I ended up being friends with the um, Queen Mother's butler as well. Mm -hmm. So, and he rang me from France, and we had a quite, that's on YouTube, but it's quite a, a bit of a chat. <laughs> funny, funny. So it just rolls on and rolls on, you know, my life yes. from one thing to another. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so then uh, with the Premier League Cup, which is like one of our major cup, uh, sports trophies in England for soccer. Uh -huh. And um, there's, there's 
maybe five, maybe five at the time for me. And I used to, it used to be like, well, it was a major trophy to be able to polish. But I put all the gold on the crown, the lions, because I could do gold plating. So the experience I have from this is like really giving me a fantastic foundation to what I'm, I'm doing now. And so obviously I know quick ways of how to look after silver. I'm definitely anti the tarnish guard, which they use the silver dips and all this. I don't tend to use those sort of things, but mm-hmm. I know in, in Buckingham Palace they do because mm-hmm. I'm, I met the, um, the, the polishers from Buckingham Palace. They came to see me to for advice. And it was uh-huh. quite, that's quite a funny, well, they always came to see me with a, and I gave them, gave them a little tour of the workshop and in our building, we had about 60 craftsmen and there was people that did book binding. There was engravers. There was people who made jewelry. There was all aspects of the trade. It was an amazing environment to work. You could dream up anything. You could say, I want to make a cement mixer. We'd make it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like that sort of thing. We we even remember making a brick, a silver brick. So <laughs> it went on and went on. So your imagination is nothing for, for people that are really, really skilled. And I think because I actually worked with the best craftsmen in the world, um, it's, it rubbed off. And then people now, well, people 20 years ago that I've met who've won prizes to work with the best craftsmen in the world they ended up working with me and other silversmiths and but they're still my friends now and they still use me mm-hmm. so and they still keep in touch 20 years later they've still got somebody who's their friend and come to me on a sunday steve i'm really in i've got a problem can you help me yes usually i just put my ovals on and i'll get stuck in and help them <laughs> and that's there's nowhere nowhere else I don't think in the world you'd get somebody to say yeah I'll I'll give up my Sunday afternoon or I'll, I'll help you out you know so that's what I do but I usually have to travel maybe three hours to get to me first oh, to wow. sort of, yeah. you know so um yeah so yeah so it was one guy he'd made uh, an oratory so it's like a globe that can see the stars you know and oh, okay. um. He took two years to make it, and they said there's only one person who can polish it. Mm. So it's quite an honour to be chosen to think that he's the only person who's actually going to be able to do this for you, you know, because so, it's all in the detail. You with, a, with something like, which is engraved with all the stars and everything, if you go too far, then you could remove the engraving. Mm-hmm. So I would need to be in, enhancing the engraving. So... um that's what I, part of one of my jobs is to special, you know, to actually enhance the engraving. Tracy Trainer was actually mentioning about oxidisation. Um, I uh, so silver would actually tarnish naturally if you leave mm-hmm. it. It just tarnishes it from from the gas in the air. So you um, you just accelerate that tarnish, but but I can control the colour where it's properly black. Whereas um, the sulphur can create colours of the rainbow, 
where I don't want colours of the rainbow, I want to have a black, a bl- mm-hmm. as if you're using a black pencil. So mm-hmm. you just draw on it, and that's how I'm, I enhance the engraving, by making it black and then rubbing off the top surface, and then it leaves it in the background just to show off. It's a bit like when, like um, saying when you was mentioning Tracy's podcast about antiques. It's exactly the same idea mm-hmm. as I did. I did um, a trophy which was called the America's Cup, and it, at the time it was smashed up. It's a sailing trophy, and it's mainly in New Zealand, Australia, and mm-hmm. it was destroyed over over land rights by a Maori, and mm-hmm. it came to us, and the silversmiths restored it. Comes to me. And then I have to make it look 150 years old. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same oh technique. Oh my gosh, the, that's the really cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'd like to go into a little bit more explanation for our listeners why polishing and finishing is important and what the difference is between the two. When I when I actually receive a piece from the craftsman. It's always come to me filed up and then maybe emery sticked, buff stick we call it, and then I have to remove those marks. Usually they're at 2,000 grit. That's the minimum I like to get. And then so I, I buff away those fine wet and dry paper marks. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, get them, I remove them so then I can go to my next stage where I can remove those marks. And that's how polishing goes. So you go, one way you go, they're, they're, um, my, my, my polishing would be going opposite their buff stick marks. So I go opposite, I can see them, I remove them, then it becomes my piece. Then I know the next, what I'm getting using, maybe 4,000, you see. So then I go to 5,000 and 6,000, then eventually we end up at 12,000 grit and that becomes a shine. So that's the, so I then I look at the piece of, i.e. say like Tracy Trainers, I mm-hmm. can then look at it and think, how can I make that look better? How can I make it emphasize the, 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 the flight and the glow on the edges and everything like that? So I just thought, and this is when the finishing comes in. So I think, how can I embellish it? So with Tracy Trainer's work, I had the butterfly, and I just wanted to give that in flight. So imagine the the sun catching the wings. So I I put it into what we call a barrel polisher, made the the wings sort of glow, but then to to catch the light, I take it off the edges off the edges of the wings just to catch the sunlight so when the wearer wears it it really becomes more alive so that's how I sort of embellish people's work it's there's a polishing which everybody can do but the finishing is just a little bit extra which because from the experience uh, especially with working with Theo Fennell He's even pushed me to the limit, you know, of what I can do. And so I do a lot of uh, portrait rings. And so you can imagine they come to me as a white casting, maybe in silver, 
maybe in white gold, sometimes in yellow. And I have to look at those, do a normal polish up to what I call second stage, which is the first shine, because there's another shine which is ultra shine. And um, so I do it to the, just the second stage. And then I start looking, how am I going to embellish this ring? If it's um, pavé, then I've got to prep the ring before the stones go in, and then when it comes back, I look at it thinking, right, I can't do a lot with those claws. If I do too much with those claws, the stones are all going to pop out. So I've done all the work before. So then I use a goat's hair brush. It's a really, really soft white brush. And I used it with rouge, and I use another powder called Vienna Lime. Or, yeah, it's, it's sometimes called whitening powder. And it's like a chalk. And it, it sort of polishes the claws without removing them. Because, obviously, you've got to think of your... We're going to our gemology and with a Mohs scale. And you've got to think what the abrasive that I'm using cannot damage that stone that's in the ring. Diamonds are fine. They're 10. And what I'm using is only about three on a Mohs scale. So it's not too bad. But when you start getting things below the three on the most scale, then you're going to hit a problem. So I never polish anything with maybe pearls in it. Uh, always, I always insist that the pearl goes in after I've done all my work. Emeralds can be a bit, a little, bit dodgy because of the cleaning later on mm -hmm. with the oils involved. And, and another one would be uh, kunzite. Uh, kunzite is, doesn't like heat. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very, very careful. Although I'm not a gemologist, this book has actually made me a better polisher because I've had to study the Mohs scale with stones. And then what I did, I combined the Mohs scale into hardness of metals. So that's really made me more passionate about what I do. And before I attack sometimes a metal, which I've never done before, which was recently... I recently did pure gold. And the most scale on that is 2.5. Now you think your fingernail's two. So if you put rouge on it, it can go misty or it can go bright. All depends what rouge you're using. So, because the talcum powder type lime I'm using is a three. So it could scratch pure gold. Mm -hmm. So a normal, a normal white gold, you know, at 3.5, something like that, it's fairly safe. But with the pure gold, it can go like what we call orange peely, goes very misty. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you look at it with a microscope, it would be like tiny little dots. So um, that sort of makes simply, you know, um, people have found in my book the, the charts that I've created, which I've had to research because I, I only really know <clears throat> what's, uh, stones not to put in an ultrasonic or what to not to use with a steam cleaner. But now I would be more careful when I'm polishing as well. Because I only really started polishing jewellery in 2003 for Theo Fennell. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget the, the first piece he gave me to polish was a platinum chain with strawberry diamonds. And I'm thinking, platinum is so difficult to polish. And I really 
I didn't know where I was, you know, it was the first thing, platinum's uh, with it in a chain, it would be dangerous. So mm-hmm. I normally say to all my students, do not polish chain. But you can't do anything about it, you've got to polish a platinum chain. And the way I approach a chain would be inch by inch. I never do, I never wrap it around a piece of stick. Mm-hmm. People often do that. I would just hold it an inch by inch by inch until I've polished it. So there's another thing with the, with the story of the book is that the book was made up of each student's questions because every single day I get a question. So these questions are gathered up into a little bundle in the book and some of them I've managed to answer. I even had, I used to be an agony aunt for polishing, can you believe that, in a magazine, in a magazine called Retail Jeweler. And what they uh-huh. used to do, they used to put it on Twitter and they had a hashtag Ask Stephen Goldsmith. So and then all the questions would go onto Twitter, then they'd go into the magazine and then I'd answer them. So it was very interesting questions asked about maybe, you know when you, when you use all your, you've polished something, then you've got all the sweep. How do we know when we give the sweep to the person that's going to recycle it for me and give the money back? You know, how much, is, how much am I really getting back? Am I giving him, say, $20 and he's only giving me $10 back? So mm-hmm. I researched that. So I asked uh, a master melt in this country and they showed me how it was all done. So you go show it to the furnace, to put it in, they weigh it for me at the end and show me exactly how much I'm going to get back. And it's proofed. Obviously, there's a surcharge with these services. So I can actually help people later on, you know, when they're even like companies, when they're big companies, when they're washing their hands. They wash their hands and they've got gold on their hands and it goes mm-hmm. down the drain. So we, we have filters on drains just to catch all the gold. And another mm-hmm. thing that we do now is sticky mats. Sticky mats, can you, when you walk, any person, even you, if you just come to my workshop, as you leave, you'd be walking out with gold on your feet. Mm-hmm. So we have sticky mats. So you walk out and the sticky mats then take your gold off your feet and you walk out clean. And we've still got mm-hmm. our gold. So it's all quite... Quite good, um, yeah, it's good fun, really. So <laughs> it is, it's a lot. So uh, I was amazed at how much gold can go out the workshop. And, of course, you have to have, uh, when your floors, you can't just have to have timber floors because you can imagine all the, all the dust going down in the cracks. So if right. you ever left the company, you'd have to lift up the planks and hoover. The hoover is the best way to get all your... Um, you know, to collect all the dust because if you do it with a brush, you're brushing it into the air and you see my workshop sometimes, I just use a broom and it's like the dust goes up like Indiana Jones. You look out the door and it's like the sunlight comes through and the place is covered. So it's um, an interesting, you know, uh, idea. So I was saying about um, before, my, my friend, was Hannah, she had a trouble with three coloured bangles. And she said, there are an accident waiting to happen. How do you do those? So I featured that in my book. And it was polishing the three bangles singly, then cutting them, soldering them, 
and just literally polish because it's gold you can polish where the seam is and there's no discoloration and it's a safer way I actually spoke to a lady this week and she said that one of her students actually lost a finger polishing a bangle and it just come off so oh it's not something you sort of take on lightly you've got to think how wide the bangle is you know it's like if it's a quarter of an inch it's not very thick and I wouldn't really I normally would put on a wider tool not a narrow tool so uh, a tool maybe inch to two inches wide and then we put the bangle on which is a quarter of an inch and it's not going to go anywhere whereas you put on a narrow tool and it's going to go onto the spindle it's going to get caught you're going to panic you're going to let go hopefully you'll let go and the bangle just wraps itself around the spindle if you've got your hand with it it's going to take your thing with it so um there's about i know at least three polishers in london with a finger gone so i count myself quite lucky to have nearly 50 years now and still got my own digits and i've still got my own health so um yeah. that's obviously yeah. taken care at the very beginning and at the end masks because not a lot of people were wearing dust masks at the very beginning mm. you can imagine mm. the health and safety at the very beginning 50 years ago we used to put our hands in sulfuric acid just to clean them oh well my you wouldn't even yeah you wouldn't even oh think about doing that and trichoethylene was a another one which is um as fumes and you put you used to put your hands in there just to get your hands clean oh my but gosh. trichoethylene is um i think it's been banned now because it can cause yeah. a lot of these uh, ethers uh, cause cancer so uh -huh. um uh -huh. yeah so we're very careful so hopefully that's answered your question yes it did and I love how you have given a lot of thought valuable thought to things that some people might not think about and as far as you know jewelry finishing and meant fabrication in polishing the settings especially around the stone yeah yeah so smart that you address you address it from a very practical and scientific manner as far yes. as paying attention to the hardness of the materials not just of the stones but of the metals too because yeah yeah we forget that the metals have a hardness characteristic as well it's actually when you even when you put them in your jewelry box for later on you the, per, the customer or the client has to be educated that they shouldn't be putting perhaps their emeralds in their jewellery box and just chucking their diamond earrings in there because they mm -hmm. will scratch that emerald. Good as gold, yeah. they will scratch that emerald. So they need to be educated. Hopefully this book will educate them and you help as well um, to you know not scratch their jewellery because I can't actually polish a stone. It then has to go back to you know a person who can do that job so um, right, right. it's really important so some of the ladies are when I've noticed they they actually would wear their rings maybe going down the gym so they do the flashing all the jewelry when they go down the gym do their exercises but when it comes back to me they say they've not worn it and it looks like they've actually put a hammer to the bottom of the shank yeah. and really given it a good hammering looks like it's been chucked across the road so uh -huh. um, yeah you can imagine it it's like oh my god all my work it's all been destroyed and i really take it to heart you know it's like a piece of me it's my little baby but then i have to give it away 
and uh, mm -hmm. that's what people don't understand really you although you charge him for the service it's still part of me I still give every part of me for that particular job and then but you ask me tomorrow what was I polishing yesterday I might have forgotten because I've moved on to the next passionate job so that's the way I move on and move on you know all the time so right. I have this passion which is I don't think I've never met anybody else any other polisher in this country that seems to have that sort of passion when they meet me they go what are you on <laughs> as if I'm on a drug as if I'm on a drug <laughs> it's quite funny so yeah well it's so, such a um, gift yeah. It's yeah. such a gift that you love what you do and that you've brought to light the importance of what you do, especially it being, you know, a very focused skill and how you have been able to share it with so many people through your book and it will continue to be shared. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just a treasure trove of information that I think will enlighten people who are just starting and for those who've been in the, you know, in the trade for years. Well, this has opened up a whole world that I know nothing about. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so it's been such a treat to visit with you, Stephen. Is there anything else? Um, let's talk a little bit about where people can find your book because uh, with the holidays coming up, anybody who yeah. is a jeweler, a bench jeweler, or you work in um, anything finishing fine sterling silver goods or you know metals they need to get their hands on your book where can they find it in, in america i've got igp publications so um uh, and then there's in england it's crowwood press and okay. uh, obviously these are the wholesaler people in these countries and then they go out to rio grande i'm hoping rio grande is stocking my book so um, okay. I know in England, Cookson's Gold, H.S. Walsh, there's uh, Kernow Craft, there's all sorts in England. They all know who I am by now, obviously, since January the 9th, when it all came out, they suddenly all know who I am. But it's IPG Publications in America. And okay. uh, it's available in Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for this interruption, but as we prepare for landing from this informative and fabulous podcast featuring Stephen Goldsmith, also known as The Gold Polisher on Instagram, I'm very excited to share that I have two signed copies of Stephen's book, Polishing and Finishing for Jewelers and Silversmiths, available for a giveaway. Stephen has generously donated two copies, sent them to me here in the States, signed them. Well, of course, he signed them first and sent them over. And I have two copies to give away to two podcast listeners of Jewelry Navigator podcast. So thank you so much, Stephen, for generously donating these books. And I'm really excited to share them with two lucky winners. And the way you can win those is email me at brenna at jewelrynavigator.com and tell me that you heard about the free copies and you'd like to be entered into the drawing. Those need to be in by Wednesday, December 11th by midnight because I will announce the winners the following day, which is my release and publication dates or days of the podcast. So I'll release, I'll announce the winners on the following day 
um, the podcast. So good luck and be sure to watch my Instagram feed. If you're on social media, follow me and follow Steven. He's at gold polisher and I'm at jewelry navigator. Thanks so much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of the episode and good luck. It was quite funny. I started encouraging everybody to do these selfies. It's quite a famous thing now in England that um, you would hold up the book, not necessarily yourself, hold the book up in front of a monument or maybe even on your bench. And then it stirred things up and I would tag them. I would actually always retweet, always tag. And then all the older boys, maybe in their 50s, are going, What's all this fuss about that book? We can't, polishing isn't that hard. Why is it that everybody's just going mental about this book? On Facebook, it was just like, uh, well, it sold out in two weeks. That's how quick. So they was going, oh, well, I see them because I just saw all the, all the chat and I never joined in. I'm just saying, what's all the fuss with this book? Why is it so special? Well, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay £10. It's worth £10 for just one secret from Stephen Goldsmith. So it was quite funny. So then they all joined in. So they started joining in with the selfies and saying this is a brilliant book. So it's almost like promoting itself without me even really joining in. And now we've got the, um, the what we call the mini guru, which is like a, a little cutout of me and uh, holding the book. And actually, I leave, I, when I'm teaching, I've got them up in the workshop and when I'm not looking, they kidnap them. And suddenly, these little mini gurus are appearing in other people's workshops. So oh, one of my friends actually was sh- shooting little, uh, little arrows at it because everybody must hate the gold polishing guru, <laughs> giving all the secrets away. It's like, I've been chucked out in a magic circle, you know. So it's quite... <laughs> it's all a bit of fun. And that's the way I actually make polishing interesting. So... You know, if you enjoy something, it rubs off. So yes. it's good, yeah. Exactly. It is really good. When I first got it, I actually put it down on the Kindle because that was a little bit later than the paperback. And I put it on my TV. I've got a 50-inch uh-huh. TV. So uh-huh. I put the Kindle on, onto the TV. <laughs> and then I, was t- I started moving the pages. And then I filmed it. So I sort of put it on Instagram so you could see an advert oh, for the cool. book. Yeah, it's quite yeah. a cool, cool yeah. idea. Yeah. So um, that's what I did. Just to, at the beginning, I was so excited about it. But actually, when the book arrived, I never saw it. My wife opened the packet. You know what she did? She cried. My wife cried. Oh. Oh. She was so moved. She said, we've been doing this for 18 months. And she goes, I can't believe it. And then she started posting pictures before I'd seen the book on Facebook. So, so, you know, amazed. But... Of course, she was like checking my book all the time. So she'd been, been with me for 18 months, making sure there's no spelling mistakes and all these sort okay. of things. Because, uh, so I mentioned, gave her a little thank you in the book. So my wife's name's Alison. So um, she's got a little thank you. So in, if you look in the book, there's my, my wife there as well. I like to oh. make sure that everybody who helps me gets thanked. So, yes. yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, that's great, Steve. Thank you so much, Stephen, for taking time with us and sharing your tips and your story with Jewelry Navigator. I know that people listening are going to learn so much, and those who don't know the industry or have any association with creating jewelry, they'll have more of an appreciation of what goes into creating these treasures. And like in your case, maintaining your national treasures through yes. um, through your your country's national treasures. So thank you so much. Thank you, Brenna. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed Stephen's story. I so loved listening to all of the fascinating things that he's had his hands on to polish and um, having a better understanding about the difference between polish and finish. It's just so fascinating. And I'm sure those of you who do fabricate jewelry and have had experience or are learning, I'm sure it was interesting to you. And don't forget to enter to win one of the two copies of Stephen's book, Polishing and Finishing for Jewelers and Silversmiths. You need to enter by next Wednesday, that's December 12th by midnight to qualify to win one of the two signed copies of his book. Thanks so much for joining me. And next week, we'll close out this year's Jewelry Navigator podcast season. I have one last fabulous guest that I'm so excited to share. I want to keep you in suspense. Um, Watch my Instagram feed because I'll give you sneak peeks to who that guest is. I'm really excited. But thanks so much for joining me today and through the whole year and supporting me on Jewelry Navigator podcast and sharing your stories if you were a guest and of course listening. I'd love to find out you know, who you are, if you're a listener, what you'd like to hear more of. So send me an email or drop me a direct message on Instagram. Once again, my email is Brenna at JewelryNavigator.com and my Instagram handle is at JewelryNavigator. Thanks so much for joining me today and every episode. I know you have a choice in podcasts and so appreciate you listening to my stories and tips on jewelry. And until next time, cross-check your sparkle. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.